Uh, <laughs> well, Ladies and gentlemen, yes. welcome to the drop. Before Carlo goes on any more tangents, just wanted to take a minute, welcome you back to the drop. You'll hear more from this guy in just a moment. Uh, this is the DFT talk season of the drop here at Digital Film Tree, part of DFT University, which you will hear more about or have already heard more about. You will hear a lot about. Uh, joining me today, Nancy Jundi, your COO, CFO here at Digital Film Tree, is Manmeet Singh, our senior VFX supervisor here at Digital Film Tree and senior lead VFX That's artist, right. Carlo <laughs> Yes, Beda. I'm a senior lead. You are a senior lead. These are two folks who have been at the forefront of our innovations in AI for VFX. There is a lot that goes into that topic, most of which I think a lot of folks don't necessarily understand. And so it's something we want to dive into here today because we are quite proud of how those efforts are going. And frankly, we're also quite proud of the fact that we continue to hire VFX artists. These are not tools that are meant to take away their jobs, but to allow them the ability to grow in their jobs and to do even more creative aspects and lead in how we're using these tools. So with that, I think we're going to start pretty basic here, guys. Remember, a lot of our audience actually tends to be not in Los Angeles or not yet even in the industry. So if you have a good laugh whenever I ask a pedestrian question, but the kinds of things that I want to know is what what is even the difference between AI, which is artificial intelligence, ooh, the robots rising, or machine learning. Those are two very different things, or not. AI is something that's generated based on some, uh, based on like a prompt or something very simple that we can feed it. Machine learning is like maybe halfway there. So machine learning, we, we still have to set up the training modules. We still have to s set everything up so that there's enough different data sets and enough data augmentations so that we can get a good product, like a, basically like a good model. If we didn't have to set that up and AI did that for us, like that would be AI. We still, there's still the human factor involved with machine learning. AI goes a lot further than that. Does that make sense? So the machine learning, the human is still involved telling it what to learn and how, whereas yes. artificial intelligence is taking from that to build upon it and get faster? Yeah, I think AI has been pre-trained, right? Would you say yeah. that, Minute? Yeah, I think they're 100% linked to each other. Like AI is a general term, I think. Machine learning is kind of like the process. When you have things like ChatGPT, right, that's it's used machine learning to basically create this model that which we call AI, which is somewhat you know, intelligent, but it is definitely artificial. So you have like chat GPT that you can kind of talk to, but it's not necessarily like training a bunch to get the answer. It still is training. It still sends it back to a server, like back wherever, you know, Microsoft and all their, you know, all the equipment that they have. And it takes your input data and then it kind of trains it back into a format where it's like looking at every word and to see that it makes sense or it looks like it makes sense and then sends it back to you. The one thing I want to make clear about ChatGPT, folks, you're still helping it learn. <laughs> Everything you put in there becomes part of it. And this is something that we've been doing since the 80s, essentially creating mm -hmm. a ChatGPT, creating a smarter internet, creating 
the chat bots that we use on your favorite services to get things through. Just so that's clear, you've already been using a lot of it and it's been using you. Speaking of, how do we use these tools here at DFT? There's so many use cases of like machine learning and then Just to be AI. Clear, you understand that we do not use chat GPT. You're not putting DFT information into chat GPT. No, correct? not necessarily like that, but like, well, so you have places that, no, you can, you can still ask it very basic things, right? Yeah. So for instance, if you're asking it for code, that is Already not exist. You're not putting our code. No, in. you're not taking. You can, which I is know. very dangerous. I don't we would, want no. you to. never want to do that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but you know, there's definitely like things that you know for basic things that you would have to go ahead and research. Like take you hours and hours, literally just you know keep me up all at night, like thinking about how is this going to work? How is this going to work? Like you can ask it, like how do you do this one basic thing, mm -hmm. and it will actually give you an answer. And then if you don't like the answer, you can kind of like, hey, do it this way. Mm -hmm. And then take that and plug it back into your code. It's kind of changed the game of pipeline in general for that too, because it's like you don't need an entire team of developers. And now you have like mm -hmm. just certain individuals who can kind of get that information from things like generative like code. So, I mean, there's kind of a pro and con of that then, right, though, because now it's open source code. So, like, anything that you might have just created, it's now available for others, too. It's hard to say because I think a lot of these companies say that they don't ever use your code. And they've 100% they've scraped it from GitHub and mm -hmm. all those things, which is, like, I mean, at that point, I'm just doing some basic stuff that, like, yeah. you know, okay, have my code. Like, it's not, it's already on the Internet on a forum somewhere. So okay. That's the time-saving aspect of it. We don't have to search for it. We can yeah. literally just ask ChatGPT, hey, give me an expression for like a wiggle or something. I mean, to be fair, how is that different from asking Google? We probably have to sift through some stuff. There's like yeah. old forums that I'll always go back to sure. as like a reference. But if it's something really quick, like, hey, you know, ChatGPT, can you give me an expression, you know, in Python, mm -hmm. Python 3, and then it'll just do it for me. And then I can copy, copy, paste that over. And so before this goes too far down the line, again, I always want to keep this as pedestrian as possible. Hmm. There are people listening who might not even understand why we're talking about code and Python in a VFX talk. Can you kind of go into how yeah. that's helpful and why it sits on top of like an AI conversation yeah. in VFX? Yeah, I think, I mean, before code, that was <laughs> what a time where it was like, you don't have scripts that can automatically do things for you right and if you're even just talking about like you know bigger 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 facilities it's just a exponential gain um just off of a, a couple lines of code whether it's like a right click of a button and you know you can review like files and you know compare things um have it generate like denoise plates you know there's just literally an infinite amount of things that we talk about that we can automate with code it streamlines everything. So we're basically turning five, six operations into like a little like keyboard shortcut, you know, at its most like basic level. Okay, but VFX, I think maybe gets, it's the bucket for even computer graphics, and 3D, 2.5D, and all of the terms get thrown into VFX. So like, did code coming into, let's just say effects, because there's, there's practical effects, there's special effects, then there's visual effects. Like, did code 
come into that through computer graphics? Like, well, you used to only be code. You yeah. used to just be a command line. You used to know have to. Yeah. You used to know how to code to do visual effects. <laughs> so we're going full circle. Yeah. Where it was like you had people who would just write, literally just a material like codes of like, oh, what colors it will be, how the specularity is going to be on like a 3D object in like Jurassic Park and stuff. That's where yeah. I was going with this because yeah. so in our South by Southwest series, we interviewed Spaz. Steve Williams, who's who is responsible for the Abyss Key Two, and he's responsible for Jurassic Park. It's called Jurassic Punk. That's the name of the documentary. <laughs> and we sat with him. We interviewed him. This might be a home for some of those clips, but like, that's wild to me. That it. That's really. This is what we're talking about. It's come full circle essentially. Mm -hmm. So visual effects was. I mean, I love that Dylan's been here. 21 almost 22 years now and it was just him in a in a closet doing photoshop it's great so okay this is a nice little foundational place from which to go forward now how are we using these on like everyday shows well i think back then it was like you know you had to do that and nowadays it's like okay a lot of this stuff happens in the ui they've kind of locked it down we use simpler tools in a sense a lot of things have come and gone in the process too. So different softwares, different you know variations of coding, different coding languages. I mean, know? this is like, do you guys feel like your right brain and left brain are fighting all the time? Because there's still a very large component of your job that is creative. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's always generally the thing that you're trying to like balance and find in an artist, like a really good artist knows how to balance that and has to have like the ability to be technical as well as you know very creative as well and i think most of the time you know a lot of people end up being skewing one way or the other um but then there's also certain situations where it's like certain shots you know that you want somebody to be more technical on or you want certain person to be more creative because they want to they're going to need to like really art direct it and you know basically paint it um almost from scratch you don't have to know coding to do VFX. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, you don't have to. Not anymore, at least. Why not? I mean, you will benefit from it for sure, but it's not like a requirement. You can be like a very good artist and not know how to code. You I think a lot of people to. assume that you need to know how to code. It just makes you into case. a more efficient artist. It makes you your pipeline more efficient to interact with others, like other people. Gee, man, what's a pipeline? <laughs> I know, I'm going to say it a lot. So a pipeline is like, it's a pipe, so you, you literally have, you're gonna go from A to B. It's a good way to think of it, though. Or a, a to Z, really, right? Because you can pipe things to go to different places, and then it either needs to come back or it's getting get sent straight to a client. That's why it's basically called the pipeline. Yeah. And what goes into that pipeline? Like a pipeline can mean assets as well as it can mean like your actual workflow, right? Yeah. And so are those two different pipelines or is it all I mean, the together? end goal is always to get a shot out, right? Or get a sequence out or get a whole episode out or just in general, a whole project. So when you're kind of developing a pipeline, it has to like look at an individual project, say one show is different than another. It also needs to be able to accommodate for all those different things. So when you're kind of building this thing out, it's like, starting from ingestion going into your database so that like coordinators producers can actually keep track of it and then going to an artist and there's also like 
you know, we're talking about AI and there's a lot of cool things happening with AI for like deep search and, you know, things that can find your assets for you. So say if like you were looking through an entire asset library for a specific type of a flame, mm. right? Is like a candle or something. Mm. You would be able to basically type in candle flame, like small, medium, right? Uh, yeah. Whatever type of angle you have. And it would be able to kind of pick that up just off of you searching it. So there's things like that where it's like you can add these these touches of AI into the pipeline. How much time would that save, right? Just several hours basically of going in through I mean, when you every think of the folder. amount of time you spend searching and clicking, yeah. you know, and doing certain commands, like just to know that you can, you yeah. can com compress that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But pipeline, the way you're talking about it, it's like kind of big picture. There's also like pipeline for visual effects where like you would like, start with tracking it would go to the person who would track the shot i was actually going to ask about that because the different roles in vfx i mm -hmm. mean we certainly define those in vfx for geniuses uh but how does how do some of these tools impact each of those because you have the roto and you have compositing and you have mm -hmm. tracking and match move which is so those in my opinion those are like the small pipes mm -hmm. within the big pipe right so the big pipeline and then you have those tiny things that are just going to make your life easier as a compositor or as like a Maya artist like CG because you're basically interacting now with all these like several other departments or wherever that stuff comes from. You can ingest it, export it, give notes and say, hey, like this is perfect. Let me just apply it. And, you know, you're done with your shot in like five times as much speed. And then it gets sent to the other part of the pipeline, the big pipeline. But so like, how is it being used in those roles in small ways then? Or is it not? AI or? Yeah. Yeah. So like the asset searching, like there's things like that we've been exploring and there's. But I mean, didn't you say something about like the thumb thing in one of our shows? Right. Yeah. Mm. So we can use it in compositing in that, that portion of, of the pipeline. We can do rotos. We can do like uh, very kind of basic mats for humans, for trees, for cars. Like the software can learn. It's been trained already on what to look for. And then we can grab a mat from a shot and then use that to help us. Or it, maybe a colorist needs it. Yeah, you got to take us back because we are going to explore whether or not mats and color are a thing. Uh, I mean, they are a thing, but you know what I mean? To be to mat or not to mat. But how, how would this actually create a mat, you're saying? Yeah. So, I mean, the software has been trained already to know what a car looks like. Okay. So then we can tell it. But we there's can... so many kinds of cars. That's true. There, there are. And it's, it's been trained already. <laughs> it's a pre, there's pre-trained models that exist Okay. in the software. And that's what makes it, I think, uh, a, a more of like a machine learning element rather than an AI element. Because uh -huh. th these are models that have been trained for us already. Um, and we don't have to run it through uh, something like Copycat. And then Copycat is where we would actually start going through. Who's and... going to tell the folks at home and me what Copycat is? Yeah. <laughs> Copycat is basically a UI representation of training a model or an inference node, which is So it is technically, it's software. It is basically a feature of a software inside the Foundry's Nuke. So it basically works in a way that you take an input and you take a ground truth um, and you're basically 
looking at these two images, they're piped into one node. Okay, hang on, because, and I apologize if anybody is listening to this and is like, shut up, Nancy, I already know what that is. You take an input and a ground truth. Yeah. The, so the ground yeah. truth is like... The ground truth is the finished look that you're trying to achieve. And how does it get that? We feed it that information. But so you have created an image. Yes. Correct. Yeah. I mean, you can, okay. you can create it. What matters for the copycat stuff is you need to have something that looks like representative of what you want it to look like. Okay, so is this kind of like in the ideation stage where like you know that, let's say, let's stick with the car thing. You know what you want the car to look like in, are we talking an establishing shot or like an actual chase scene? It can be either one. Really? Yeah. I mean, so, you, you have yeah. to feed it that information. You start it somewhere, yeah. right? So, so the ground you truth, would... you can send like a 69 GTO and this is what I want it to look like. And then you, the inputs are things like Toyota Camry. Oh no! So I'm wait. being I'm being dead uh, wait, serious wait. here. So is like, your goal to put the car in the shot, or are you trying to get a man yeah. out of the yeah. car? Okay, you're putting a car in the shot. Are you trying to change the car, or you're trying to? I want to know what the car looks like in sunshine, in rain. I want it mm -hmm. to be parked so, outside <laughs> of my house, and then I want to be driving the 405. So you're talking about like a large data set because what we're talking about is very like situa situational from scene to scene. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, but you're, if you're thinking of like, I want the car to be in the sun, I want it to be in the rain, I want it to be driving down the freeway. I'm more trying to understand like what what is the ability of this. So you're saying mm -hmm. like if you put this into copycat, this is something to, to train a scene, mm -hmm. like not to create the asset. Not generative AI, really. That's what yeah. that's what you meant about like yeah. okay that okay yeah. got it. Because generative AI is basically, this is you have zero canvas. There's nothing on there, mm. and then you type a bunch of words, and then now it has created it for you. Copycat things like that are very kind of like closed in on what you're feeding it, and what do you want it to look like. So you'll have a plate, something that you know somebody have shot out there and you'll use that as your input, right? So if we had like this interview and then you wanted one of us to like look different or something like an alien or something, mm. right? You would basically have now the ground truth <laughs> basically. Yeah, I'm gonna do this to you on that episode. All right, sure. <laughs> Me? I was hoping so. We can talk about it. It better be all of us. <laughs> Just you, man, me. <laughs> so if we're all aliens, basically. <laughs> you can't, can't unwind it. <laughs> Basically, you'd have that image of all of us as aliens, or <laughs> one of us, and you would then start the training based on those couple of images that you've already technically done. Um, so your, your ground truth would be our fa us with our faces as the alien faces. Just and then me the and me. Input, just me and me, excuse me. And then the input would just be <laughs> the raw footage. Got it. So it's gonna, it, the images have to be the same, though. Okay, so like if it's frame 55 that we're training, then for the ground truth, then for the input, it also has to be frame 55. So... Can you say that one more time? So it's it's individual images that we're feeding it. Yeah. You can't just feed it the entire clip or different portions of a clip. Yeah. So the ground truth, if, it, if it's just going to be man meat with the alien face, then we're just going to feed that frame 55 of man meat with the alien face. 
and then that input is also going to be frame 55. Okay, so let's think of this in the like finished episode. So if we have uh, man meat and I over here, you and I over here, all three of us here, and we want only man meat to be the alien, you're only are you only feeding it the camera from this angle? We would feed it actually from all the angles. From all the angles. Yeah, because the, these this data set's going to be pretty. It's going to be a good size. We should feed it maybe like, like I don't know, ten images, <laughs> right? And then um, yeah. we have to feed it data augmentations from there. So it's like zooming in, zooming out. It's you have to and give. And do we it... need like high school photos of man meat to help with this, or like, how is this thing learning? Uh, I would love to see those photos. If I was so. a high school, if I was a young alien. God, so it doesn't need like how you've looked through the ages. It just needs how you look today and the end result of how yes. we want it to look. And that's, you know, people think so that this is... So then that way, him turning in this chair... I'm going to make would... it hard for y'all. Well, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> that's the thing. So like we see we see the front of his face. We have to train that. If he turns like this, we have to train that. Okay. It's not going to know what yeah. to do. So we have to give it that data. It's not going to just... Got it. There is a neural network that helps us connect those dots. And it does a... It, does what it can if like say the lighting changes or if like there's the focus changes mm -hmm. little things like that it can kind of connect the dots with but we have to keep feeding it data it, it doesn't know that we're feeding it a face got it so we have okay. to give it every angle of the face so like if we're going to do it here i would also get like you know some extra shots of <laughs> I maybe mean, from like the left side right side back of the this head it's fun when it works really well you know but they're you know it, it, it's better for some things rather than other things well Speaking of, so let's talk beauty. Sure. So one thing that's actually interesting to me is how we're able to do so much for any number of reasons. So for example, mm -hmm. I had surgery not that long ago. I have a scar that's not tremendously noticeable, but enough so that like on these high definition cameras, of course. So you're saying that like if this was like a thing, I was on a show, mm -hmm. it didn't happen last season, but it's there now and we need to deal with it because it's not part of the storyline or something you would what like probably want to scan or something or it would be no you don't even need that i don't it's think just, you need a scan you no because th like, this is like train a, me from different angles that's or? like a best kind of use scenario for copycat is, uh -huh. is beauty training blemishes scars things like that um that that works really well for those things so i don't think we need scans i think just just the scene of whatever you would like us to remove it from but um, what if it's and legitimate question here because like it feels like wouldn't it make more because the scene changes every it changes like the scene period changes but mm -hmm. episodes change seasons mm -hmm. change like is it is it not a technology where like um it can go throughout a whole season like if you know that like uh, a liver spot or a mole or something or a scar has presented that like was not there in a previous season or um, something of that nature and you're going to have to get rid of it on seasons three, four, or five, is that, or you always have to train it per scene? You definitely have traditional um, like actual machine learning. Mm -hmm. Then you have tools like Copycat, which are, it's called like overfitting, which it very much wants to only do that scene. You can train it on some more scenes and kind of get there, but it's like, it just depends on the amount of data that you're putting into it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so to do like 
an actual season of something, I think you're looking at like a couple thousand, you know, input and ground truth pairs to train it on versus, okay, just the like 10 or yeah. or so that you've done it on a specific okay. shot or scene. Yeah, so if we're like in, you know, season three or four of a show and we've done beauty for season one through three of an actor or an actress uh, of a blemish that's always needed to be removed, we could use that and create like a generalized kind of model that was mm -hmm. like an all kind of fit, you know, an all use scenario. Okay. That does exist and we're getting closer to that. Cool. Uh, but that's, that's like you said, thousands, we're talking mm -hmm. thousands of images, thousands yeah. of data augmentations, and we're yeah. talking like weeks of training. Okay. So if we had like yeah. a month to figure it out, then yeah, it, it would, we, it would save us so much time in the long run. Yeah, it's, I think the most prized thing you can have is a really good data set of whatever it is that you need to do. And that's like, that's For, a whole other area of being a VFX yeah. artist. And so you have the larger AI tools like the NVIDIA stuff and, you know, like bigger mid journey or, you know, whoever's like basically has all that data to scrape mm -hmm. to generate like, for instance, ChatGPT is just based off of every single thing out there almost. They kind of just went through and, you know, took all this data and fed it to machine learning for it to figure out what word goes after what word usually um, in particular, like with a prompt that was given. Mm -hmm. So if you have a mid journey or a, you know, a Photoshop, like generative AI thing, basically that's, you know, they took all their stock footage like Adobe did and they ran all this machine learning on it to basically pair up like, oh, this is a cat, this is a dog, this is a car, so that it could actually start generating these images. But isn't it also like what they're asking you to do before you can log into an account? Make you identify the bus, make uh -huh. you identify the crosswalk and all yeah. of that. Like, I never thought about that. I guess that's, that's the actually same. a good point. Maybe we're working for them. <laughs> we are. That's what I'm trying <laughs> to tell you. Trying to warn you people. You have like those bigger data sets, like which are, it's becoming easier to even train that kind of stuff. Um, which I think we'll see in the next like year or so to be able to like, you know, automatically crop and detect like a certain part of a face mm -hmm. and then run a uh, machine learning set on it, which is already getting so much faster too. So is that what it is? Like that's what setting up a training session is like giving it data sets mm -hmm. to learn from. I'm sorry, how is this saving time? Like if you have to front load all of that, <laughs> You bring up a really good point because, you know, this isn't going to eliminate the artist in any, in any way, yeah. all this stuff, because the artist still needs to know what it looks like to do good paint on someone's face or to do, you know, to fix like a bald cap that's like wrinkling up along the sides. And you still have to know how it all connects as someone moves their head around. Yeah. Right. You can't just, and that's why it's best maybe to do like a couple shots that are just part and just use those as the training. So you mm -hmm. physically have to go in and do a couple uh, just so they're the same. Um, but it still, it still takes a lot of time. It does. I, on average, I think it saves about two thirds the amount of time for me, but I haven't done a very large data set yet. Uh -huh. So when we do get there and it's happening, uh, it'll probably save us like an immense amount of time, but we have to like front load that and we have to like be able to get the camera masters early <laughs> you know, and still make a deadline. How, how does this work with 
any number of a blue screen or a green screen or a gray screen or a yellow screen or a magenta screen, all the screens. What is that like? Take me through being on set to the final look. Like we talked about this. We talked about this with Matt's actually, or you'll hear about it soon when we were talking about it with Matt's. Like take me through here's what we hope uh, to have by the time this airs. And so we're going to film for this. And then let's say that it gets there and that's exactly what it was. And, you know, talk, talk me through the machine learning or AI and that. But then also what happens when instead of the intended goal for what we filmed, we now need this. So I think um, to carry this through, because we're going to use it anyway with the mats, yeah. Uh, we filmed Carlo wanting him to be doing jumping jacks on the ground at a park. And we did that with a green screen. But now, because we can, we're going to put him in space doing jumping jacks. I don't know. Dylan doesn't understand gravity. Whatever. So, I mean, being on set and having machine learning in mind is still very new. <laughs> really? I think most people aren't thinking about machine learning when they're on set. Okay. Uh, or they're thinking of it in a very, oh, we'll just have AI do it the same way that everybody's just like and, we'll just fix it in post and sometimes the less you know the more confident you are about something mm. when you shouldn't be yeah that's <laughs> so there's a lot of that going on right now too especially fair. you know with some producers and directors on set fortunately for us we take the time to educate so like we, i have talked to a lot of producers you that mean now, like with dft university yes absolutely uh <laughs> so there was like like now now we're keeping that in mind so now we're, we're speaking with the producers that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis and telling them hey like this is something that we can do now. Maybe we can get training started early so we can get models going uh, even before they start shooting that day. So that it is happening. We're still kind of in the uh, kind of the beginning stages of it. Mm -hmm. But honestly, if you're going to shoot like a green screen or a blue screen on set, like that can be trained. And I've done that before where we have like a, a pre-trained model or a, a trained model that can apply to an entire uh, day's worth of shooting for green screens and blue screens. There's some cool stuff happening out there right now with like I think it's called like Starfield or Starlight or something. Um, but you can actually also do it to relight a scene. So if you do train copycat in a way where, okay, this person was lit in a very dark environment um, and you want to put them in like a very bright environment, like daylight, like on a field somewhere, um, you can technically use like an HDRI, which is like a full 360 picture to use that to generate like the lighting on that person and run it through like copycat and basically you're you've now relit this person to be looking pretty accurately in a different environment completely. So there's ways that can actually that that might even just end up being part of the process altogether mm -hmm. and also just fixing things that went wrong on set. So uh my brain did actually then go back to a lot of the issues that we were talking about during the maths discussion and lighting and time of day. Does this ever help with that or completely separate scenarios and issues by the time you're getting to a place of maths where like color needs one thing or producers are tweaking something in color and it's like, yeah, AI can't help with that. I think there's we're starting to see more AI tools like that pop up. And once it becomes a little bit more popular and um, I think people are more educated on them and they have access um, as well as just like all the 
the stuff that you need, it's like really high end high hardware usually mm -hmm. to be able to like run it on, right? Like that was kind of the thousands of scenes. Yeah. You bring up an important yeah. word, access. Yeah. Um, we're big on democratizing tools for storytellers here. And so, especially with TV budgets, it's one of the most ubiquitous, easiest ways to get get a message across. Well, TV is not necessarily easy anymore, folks, but to actually empower people with the tools to tell their stories, sounds like AI is not, machine learning is not. These are still things where it's almost like how it was having an avid or a computer even period in the early stages, because this is yet another step in our own evolution so far as having tools, period. It's gonna be a little bit of time, I think, until everybody has pure access to every single thing out there. Like you look at like things like Wonder Studio, everybody's just talking about it, how incredible it is. And that is actually real democratization because it's like the access that it gives you to like five, six different tools that, you know, you'd have to learn so much. You have to literally have so many different softwares and that all kind of just gets wiped away because you now have direct access to just put a character in to replace a human and it'll do like a decent paint job or, you know, and it'll actually light that character to kind of match in really well. And that runs like on their servers, right? It's not actually kind of like running locally. So you have like all this stuff that can like run locally, which we do need to for security purposes. Um, and then you have things like that are democratized, which are sending it to a service that does all that work and all that computing power for you. But I think that there's, there's still that like link of, you know, have, for every single person to have access to it, you're still going to have to buy subscriptions and you're still going to have to, you know, like pay for something, but you don't know if it's going to be exactly what you need. And, you know, these tools are useless unless you really know what you're doing and like how they're going to, how they're going to apply to a scenario. I think as, that's why, like, if you're creative and you, you can connect the dots as a visual effects artist um, and, or if you're a filmmaker or a director, compared to like if you're like purely like technical, right? So you need a bit of both there. If, if you, you can't utilize all these tools and have them be to your benefit if you don't know what to do with them, obviously. Someone like a VFX artist or a supervisor is gonna know how to be like in a happy medium of the two. Beauty, VFX, beauty. Everyone thinks it doesn't happen, but ladies and gentlemen, sometimes, believe it or not, an actor, actress, kid, did not have a good night's sleep, has an acne breakout, has a cold sore, has, uh, uh, they're called 11s or a vein or wrinkle, God forbid, jowls or uh, a tuft of hair is out of place. Here, Dylan, fix that. Just kidding, just kidding. Lots of things, scars. Uh, a snaggle tooth, a uh, somebody got punched. There's a million and five things. And also just commonplace, like there's a boogie that nobody caught or any number of things. Like beauty VFX is an actual thing. No show has to worry about us saying any names because it's not just our shows. It's every show, folks. It's every show. As common as it is to see a boom mic in a frame, it is to know 
that somebody painted out a zit or somebody painted out a vein or Carlo's five o'clock shadow. Carlo, give the camera a really good look real quick. We're going to paint it out real quick. There you go. Help him out. See, <laughs> it's, it is what it is. And, uh, there, there used to be a huge stigma probably still is like people should look the way that they look. And we do understand that. Um, but there are also people who make their livings this way who could be ostracized for looking a different way. There are, um, there are character driven reasons for certain things. If somebody is, you know, playing a different age, if the, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And also sometimes just because we want to look our best, um, with that guys, how does AI help in these situations? Because there are a lot of exceptional uh, ways in which this does help make that go faster, um, make people feel more comfortable on camera, allow for any number of narratives, et cetera, et cetera. AI has actually been very helpful in this capacity, yeah? It, it's really a best case scenario for Copycat. Copycat mm. does a really good job with beauty. Uh, so if we're able to just train one scene and use that use the ground truth right as like the finished paint that we want with whatever blemish we want removed and, and that then, means that like first you took the shot yes and this is how we want someone to look yes. that becomes the ground truth so the skill of the artist okay. is still very much required there Got there's it. probably a, a finished look that's already been approved and we're following that look and then we have to train that against the frame of the input which is the original shot so mm -hmm. the frames have to be exactly the same question Let's say that whatever beauty you need done obviously is on the person, mm -hmm. but what happens if like time of day or movement is behind them? Does that screw up copycat? Oh, sure. But you have to feed it that data. So you have to keep that in mind of when you're watching a shot, however, however, however which way the, the person changes the way they're looking mm -hmm. or whichever way they look the most different. Sometimes like you would train a shot of an artist looking straight at them. Mm -hmm. And then if him or her looks to the left or looks to the right, those are all, that's all part of your data set. You have to feed it that data. So literally, and I, so even just doing that, if this was the scene mm. and we were painting out, like I have my microphone and I have this scar on my neck. Like if that was what you were trying to train it, you mm -hmm. would have to get me looking at man meat, get me looking at the camera, get me looking at you. I've moved my hand up, all of that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But even, so walk me through that because then aren't you just feeding it the exact scene and it has every single time? Well, you have to feed it data augmentation. So like you have to give it like kind of wild card scenarios so it has a higher confidence. What's an example of data augmentation? So like you would go through, whoever is setting up the data should, be, should know the footage well. So if the shot goes out of focus, mm -hmm. you have to feed it that. So maybe it's not part of your trained data, but you know that it goes, it looks this much out of focus mm -hmm. at one point. So you have to feed it that as a data augmentation. So are you giving it like dailies or just a finished it would help. scene? It would help. It depends, I think, on the size of your data. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're trying to create a model that's just like an all-use case model, then it would help to have dailies. Mm -hmm. It would help to have a previous season if the work is carried over from a prior season. Really? Yeah, absolutely. So let's say that like, um, we have 
any show that like has previous seasons or because I thought it had to be scene by scene. That's why this sounded very like time consuming, cumbersome. Like how does yeah, this there's, actually there's help? There's small data sets and large data sets. Okay. So if we're just thinking from scene to scene, then it can be small. Uh-huh. If we're trying to create a model that's massive and it has thousands of images, uh-huh. which will certainly save you a lot of time in the long run, uh-huh. and you have that time to front load that training, yeah. then that would probably be a better scenario. If, it, if it's an actress or actor who has something that we need that we need to paint mm-hmm. that lasts throughout an entire season. So it's better it, to have a larger training model. It goes back to just how strong your data set is and what you're feeding it, right? So even if we were working on the scene and you set all these scenarios of like, oh, your hand goes over it, mm-hmm. you turn around, right? That's those those situations you would feed it specific frames of you in those like frames where it's like the most like viable to like catch that that discrepancy um so for instance data augmentation can also it's not just feeding it more frames Mm -hmm. augmentation is basically taking an image grading it a different way so it can fake look like a different lighting scenario and then literally transforming it so you're turning the whole image Mm -hmm. so you look kind of like this and that's now you're feeding a different augmentation because it's looking for you know a wider range net of scenarios where your face and you know where your neck or however it might end up being on those pixels yeah if it's a low confidence situation if you don't feed enough data augmentations then the likelihood of the paint work that you've done uh the likelihood of it just turning off like raises exponentially. So if you don't feed it that information, then the machine learning data will just stop. It just throws a tantrum? No, it just won't. It just turns, the paint just turns off. The shot will still play, but it doesn't have but the paint work that you just It just turns off, did. it throws a full hissy? Basically. This uh, sounds yeah. like it's growing. And then you have to like, continue training. Yeah, you gotta keep it going. A couple so more hours or That's days. why like, it's, it's <laughs> nice to have a really good like trained model for a scene and uh-huh. train it all night long. Like, uh, Basically, like if a scene that, that would typically take about six hours to do mm-hmm. for an artist to do, if you set up the training at night mm-hmm. and spend about two hours on that, let it train overnight, mm-hmm. and then spit it back out the next morning, uh, you could have the shots theoretically done. So you'd saved yourself four hours of time. And that's how it saves everybody time. Interesting. Are there any scenarios where it's just, it's not good for this? If it's like, like a bruise or i mean it sounds like it's good for a pimple or a pretty static scar or something like that but is there a scenario where like no just i've had scenarios where say we have to do paint that involves creating a clean plate behind the actor or actress Mm -hmm. then yeah then that has a hard time creating a clean plate you can feed it that information but like unless you do it on every frame um i've had issues with that for instance, if you had somebody with a beard and mm-hmm. the beard is actually going outside of you know the person's face, to make that person look like a person without a beard, mm-hmm. you're basically having to create all the stuff behind it because that information just isn't there yeah. uh, to begin with. So it's doing extra work that's not just beauty. Mm-hmm. It's basically recreating an entire scene behind them so that you can actually paint it out. Yeah. Um, it's more complicated paint, yeah. more intricate paint that's required. It, it's 
maybe not the best use for that tool. Yeah, I think that's why it's like, it is still a creative tool, mm -hmm. right? Beauty even, it's it's open like the possibilities of like, you know, deep fakes making people look like other people. Um, you can kind of change, you know, people's like dialogue even, that's like a further extent, right? Um, but things like bruises or all that stuff, it's, it's not too hard to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but it is like, you still need to, I think, have somebody who understands the workflow mm -hmm. of like AI and what its limitations are, as well as just being able to, you know, like if you're going to have somebody stand in and replace another actor mm -hmm. um, and then do a deep fake on them, you basically want to get somebody who's like 80, 90 percent similar still. Right. Because you, you have like those Tom Cruise like deep fakes. That person looks very close, right? Already, yeah. To yeah. begin with, the guy looks very similar. Versus you're taking like somebody like me or you know somebody else, like a completely different race, like to then do that. Uh -huh. It's a way, way different scenario. I really want us to do a Carlo deep fake in this home. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like it too, believe me. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's not, and here's the thing too, it's not like it's like two clicks and you have your deep fake. That guy who's been doing those videos, he yeah. he did an interview and he said it takes him weeks. It like legit takes him weeks yeah. uh, to make to deep fake Tom Cruise's face on top of this guy who's like eighty percent there already. Yeah. <laughs> so it still is it isn't just like a one click solution. Mm -hmm. These things require time to get right. I, I think the the use case is just gonna explode in the next couple of years of even different possibilities of what you can do with it. Um, and we'll definitely see, I think, even just more shows pop up that have, like, you know, the de-aging that's going on where you're seeing an actor, like, who is, like, 15 years younger and then a version of them that's, like, 30 years younger. Um, I was already starting to see that, but... Ask, like, I mean, because that is... That, that is... I mean, like, I can go read the, the articles and the interviews, I'm sure, but, like... Harrison Ford on in Indiana Jones like I love the Irishman let's be clear I love the Irishman but it feels like we made significant jumps even from the Irishman to Indiana Jones there's so many ways to do it though right like AI is just not like a oh this single company came out with this mm -hmm. um, and so many of these companies end up building like proprietary tools um, where you know you can you can go like the full extent where you're actually like getting a full CG replica of somebody's face and use like AI tools to help you match move and AI tools to, you know, pull the texture or, you, you know, we can do it like the, the way that we're doing it where you just kind of have a simple 2D approach. And there's just, there's hundreds of different ways to approach it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's up to, I think, like the, the companies, the VFX companies or, you know, the artists to choose how they want to do it to produce a better result for the actual result that they're looking for. That's so creepy to me. You can pull the texture out of someone's face. Mm, do yeah. you guys walk around and like think about that? Are you like plastic surgeons type people? Like that Every time I look so in the creepy. mirror. It looks in <laughs> insane though. UV like yeah. You see those UV maps the flattened of, face. of people's faces yeah. where it's, it's like it, it pulls creepy. your whole skin texture out so like that. Yeah, that's one way to do it. You yeah. Can, like a, a UV map of like a cube or something like that, like a box that's unfolded. It's kind of like that with your face. Yeah. 
And then if you, oh. that's one way to do it though. It's a little complicated, but yeah, you could do paint and like working on like a flat kind of face. Like in Mrs. Doubtfire when the truck runs over the. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it looks like that. No, like I was re- yeah, researching that's... how to do it. No. Yeah. On that note, nah. <laughs> I think that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on The Drop. We'll see you here next time.